everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Neon Rainbow Podcast. Woo! My name is Jaron Weaver. My name is Haley Fletcher. Thank Welcome y'all back. so much for tuning in. Guess who's back? Oh, no. Not again. Back again. I thought we talked about this. <laughs> oh, we talked no, about no. it. I just decided against what you wanted me to no, do. No, no, no. So we had a good week. Uh, we just got back from Amelia Island. It was nice. And, uh, we it was took a nice a- working vacation. It was, it, yeah. We didn't want it to be a working vacation. It just kind of ended up that way, I guess. We had taken this last like, almost entire week of January off because February, for some reason, for us gets crazy. Stupid crazy, um, music wise, business wise. And actually, when you guys are listening to this, I will be working a huge fashion event in Atlanta. Oh, so aren't you bougie. Well,. You know, what like I, I didn't know you were doing that's, that. It's like we don't have a joint bank account and you don't know already. <laughs> so we just took the week off to kind of recoup and chillax a little bit. And the oh, issue is when you enjoy what you do, it's hard to shut it off. It, well, it's hard to shut it off and you're always in business mode. Like we love, as picky as we are with live music, we really only go to bars that have live music in hopes of finding people that we really like Mm -hmm. (laughs) to hear and enjoy and we do we got to see two of our favorite people on the island um if you guys haven't heard of buck smith he was on american idol was it the same year you were or was it the year after i'm not sure honestly it was in a year apart and then kevin ski you guys can add him on facebook he's fantastic so we got to hear two of our favorite artists while we were there um, normally on the way home, we listen to a bunch of podcasts when we're in the car because we nerd out and mm-hmm. we really thoroughly enjoy That's podcasts. And I wish I had the name of the, one of the first podcasts that we listened to. Um, I normally geek out over the true crime stuff, but we wanted to hear some music related things mm-hmm. this Since time. we were apparently working vacation. A, <laughs> exactly. Um, but I'll I'll define it and I'll link it on our Twitter or our Facebook. Um, but it was essentially this songwriter, I think it was called Success in the Music or Songwriting Business Full Circle or something. Yeah. So it just talks about people's stories when they moved to Nashville, which there was a new girl and we're going to be talking about her on here. Her name's Carly Pierce. I've liked her for the last few years. She's great, but is really starting. We got to see her at the uh, Georgia Theater when she did a show with uh, Josh, Abbott. Josh Abbott. We did, it's and that's part of the story show. too. Oh. But it was really cool just to see the different types of things that people are doing and they're calling her uh and quote unquote overnight success kind of a deal. And all the years and time that gets put into it when people on the other end don't realize yeah. it's you know years and years and years in the making. So we figured it would be a fun little pep talk mm-hmm. this week. We had a chill, fun episode last week, and these are, I guess this week, we're just going to go through some of our favorite, not even comeback stories of just... Just some stories that kind of lay out um, how long this takes, and if you stick with it, um, what the payoff can be. Oh my God. Some of these are bananas and one of these for sure, I, there's no way, I don't think I would have kept doing it. I don't know. I mean, I want to we'll, we'll say, we'll see when we get there. Though. I want to say that I would because let's get real. My skill set now is pretty niche and I'm not paying to go to school to do, to do something else. So, I mean, whether I liked it or not, I'd continue doing music, it's True, but you're going to hear some of these and be like, damn 
son. All right. Well, let's hop on in there. All right. Do you want to kick it off first? I can, sure. All right. All right. So the first person we're going to talk about, I had the uh, privilege of being on the same TV show he was on. He was the winner of the very first year of the Nashville Star Television show. That was on USA, USA right? Network. No, actually, it was, uh, yeah, it was USA Network. And then it moved to CMT... Did it? I don't know. It moved networks, but it was all in the same family. So here's a little bit of uh, the backstory a little bit. He was born in Lepanto, Arkansas, and he moved to Camden, Arkansas at the age of 21, actually, to begin pursuing music. Um, It was there that actually he discovered a band called White Oak, which was seeking a new lead singer. Um, I guess he became that singer. It really, it really didn't say. It's hard to find interviews that people dig into all the stuff beforehand too. Yeah. So I mean, we or dug the stuff we actually care about. It's yeah, pretty much. So um, I don't care he, what your mom worked for while you were in school, dude. True. Sorry, yeah, sorry. Yeah, very true. So uh, he became. We think he became the new. Lead, oh yeah, it does say he became yeah. the new lead singer. Okay. So uh, it was after that he moved to Dallas, Texas. I thought this was funny, uh, where he took a role as a gunfighter show, as a gunfighter in a show at Six Flags Over Texas. Which, if you've ever seen a picture of Buddy Jewel. It's exactly how you would picture him. <laughs> like, a, like if he wasn't doing music, you'd be like, that's exactly Like when researching like. this, uh, went to the Wikipedia page, and he's in a baseball cap, and he's got cut-off sleeves, and like just the ultimate, like, just red, redneck. Red, red, like, red, He should come to my family reunions. He would fit right in. <laughs> <laughs> he probably would. So um, later, uh, he entered some singing competitions, and his first one was actually sponsored by the band Alabama. Um, who apparently was a huge inspiration to him. Which I don't hear in his music, really. Which is funny. In all honesty, it's been a few years since I heard Buddy Jill's music. Um, well, I guess we'll... Oh, well, oh sorry. Yeah. I won't detail So, um, anyway. So, he, uh, he did the competition that's sponsored by Alabama. He actually won the competition. And wow. that always feels good. Hopefully, you all know that feeling at some point. Um, so, he won the competition and the winning spot, or the... Prize. The prize, thank you, was an opening slot for the band, which would be pretty cool. Like, probably during this time, Alabama was probably at the height of their career. Oh my God, so, even now to say, I opened up for Alabama. Yeah. Like, and Jesus. to be able to, I don't know if this was just like a one time thing or if you actually have to go out and Oh, if they go did a mini run or something? That would, that would have been amazing. I'm not um, even a fan of Alabama, and I would do it. Like, that'd be fun. It's, it's, they're kind of one of them groups that I'm. Like, they've got some songs. I'm like, oh, I forgot they did that. Like, I love these songs. Yeah. Like, for the longest, I said I didn't like George Strait. Oh, my God. If I would have known that, I wouldn't have married you. Until I'm like, you know, the song, the radio comes on and says, that was by George Strait. And I'm like, hold on. I love that song. And then I realized all the songs that I loved were George Strait. So every song that he recorded now. (laughs) Exactly. God. I don't think there's, there might be one song that's not my favorite. Well, then you better hush about it. I won't won't bring that up. So anyway. We can return this ring now. So So back to it. Uh, He won the opening slot for the band. Then he uh, went on to compete on Star Search, which Star Search launched a whole lot of artists from like the 90s probably into the early 2000s i've heard it i've never seen an episode of it so that was like was that really the first like talent TV it was show? the og american <clears throat> idol so the not shit one ah, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, i'm not saying it wasn't shit maybe. i'm just saying maybe, just it was the maybe. first one <laughs> okay sorry continue <laughs> so later he decided to move to uh, nashville tennessee and found work 
two years later as a demo singer. So it took him two years to break into that scene. And uh, while I lived there, everybody told the stories about how they would always go down like every Thursday night to this Mexican restaurant in Nashville. And that's where they would listen to Buddy Jewel perform. So as a demo singer, he recorded more than 5,000 demos. That's so you guys have to think about how many demo singers that there are in Nashville. So it takes a little bit to kind of get your foot in the door that people are asking for you mm-hmm. to make money on a consistent basis. So for this man, that's everybody, that's all they had him do was demos, which demo, is... Demo, demo, demo. It's so impressive, but also you're like, damn. That's super impressive. So among the songs that he recorded demos for were uh, Write This Down by George Strait. Mm-hmm. Uh Come full circle with the George right? Strait thing. <laughs> a Little Past Little Rock for oh. Leanne Womack, which I would really like to hear a male version of that. You should do it. It's a beautiful song. I think you should uh, The One for Gary Allen, and as big of a Gary Allen fan as I am, I'm not familiar with The One. I am, but I couldn't hum it for you. It's been years since oh. I've heard it. And then another big hit that he sang the demo on was You're Beginning to Get to Me for Clay Walker. I haven't heard much from Clay Walker. Have you? He, I believe he was diagnosed with MS. And so, like, no, he's he's fighting and he's doing a really good job. Like he's, you know, he released that song when Mom wasn't Mama, when Mama yeah. wasn't Mama. Yeah, so I think oh, that's that was his, a new one. It's, it's his last one that he really had a big run with. But uh, so anyway, so Buddy Jewel finally he self releases albums in two thousand one and two thousand two with. You know, I guess as much success as an independent artist has. As and a demo is, singer with no national stage. Yeah. like, And this is probably the beginning of MySpace. Pro- it so, prob- probably is. And when you think about it, they're like, well, if you sang the demos on, you know, whatever. It's just because some of these songwriters weren't the best singers. And again, we can't stress this, stress this enough. Yeah. If you guys are a songwriter, you don't have to be the best vocalist. That's okay. You don't have to try and prove that you are. Yeah, There's nothing wrong with getting a... I mean. Most people, even if they're good in Nashville, they don't do their own demos. Yeah, and like demo rate, if you're not a, if you don't have a great voice and you have a great song, you need a great voice to represent that. Uh, Nashville rate when I was doing demos up there was, you know, if you do one song, it's 150 bucks to get your vocalist to come out. Um, if you double up, you can do 100 bucks a song, something like that. So. Yeah, they do project rates, so it's really, when you guys are spending the money to really go out and pitch your song, it's not that much. And again, that is Nashville, so if you're in Atlanta, not that you should try and cheat people down, Yeah, but, you know, start with what you'd like to pay them, and you can always negotiate back and forth. I don't know many people that'll say, F you, you know, you offered me 50 bucks to come do this when, you know, if... Even if it's a local person, not that you yeah. should be taking advantage of people, but also you can always start low and work your way up. So. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. I understand now. <laughs> you follow? You follow? <laughs> so uh, it wasn't until 2003, a full 10 years after moving to Nashville, that he finally struck gold in the TV show Nashville Star. So he'd been doing these demos all these years, and I know how the show works. Um, they probably approached him. How about talking to managers and all that kind of thing and trying to get people on the show that have great backstories? Well, how much more of a great backstory do you have than the guy who's been in town for 10 years? Um, everybody's heard him. Everybody's heard him. He's saying 5,000 demos. Like Everybody was kind of rooting for him. And I remember watching on the show that year. That was kind of his thing. Like you know, They, they almost made it like it was his last hurrah. Yeah, his last hurrah. If it doesn't happen this way, then it's just not going to happen. 
<laughs> Which is very sad. But uh, Buddy Jewel, he had been passed on by most labels in Nashville with the irony of singing the majority of the demos that the major artists were hearing. I mean, I can't, could you imagine how that would feel? Frustrating, like? where it's not even that people <laughs> didn't know who he was, so they weren't like they weren't aware of how good he was. They've heard him sing ballads, like party songs, yeah. like anything and everything in between, <laughs> and liked it, and it was conveying enough that these label heads and artist managers, <clears throat> excuse me, are sending these demos to the artists and their team directly going, yeah. you've got to hear this. So yeah. for him to be singing it that compelling where everybody's heard it. And them still not sign him. And he's still making $150 a song. It's crazy. Like he may have been getting more, but realistically yeah. they could have had somebody else do it if he was charging outrageous rates. So he wasn't rolling in. That's true. Of course, if, but it probably if he did $5,000 a song, he probably was getting that really up. Pay from the oh, demo. I'm sure. so he's probably making more than 150. Even oh my god, even if you were making 300 bucks, yeah. Oh, mm. well, plus he's buddy. playing his shows at his Mexican restaurant, so mm, that's true. The taco circuit. <laughs> so uh, the point of this episode, um, he didn't get the success he desired until he was 40, and that was 10 years after moving to Nashville, and then he started actually doing the performing somewhere in the notes. At a much earlier age. So he's probably in at 20 years at this point, mm-hmm. maybe more. 20 years and two TV shows and 5,000 demos that have been in the most important and influential people in the music business. Yeah. So where we're going with this is stick with it. If you've got the talent, um, you've got the drive, keep the drive, do what it takes to keep that fire alive to pursue what it is that you're wanting to do. I know oh, sometimes yeah. it's really hard. Like some days, I feel like the fire and the drive that I have has just turned into road rash. <laughs> right. I was going to say roid rage. <laughs> so who you got? All right. So I'm going to do Carly Pierce first. Okay. Because the next one I'm going to do is just bananas. All right. So starting with Carly Pierce, there's a lot of things that we. It was really cool. This was again one of the podcasts that we were listening to in the car. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's a lot to cover in this one. I'll try and keep it like super speedy, super short. Speed reader. Speed reader. Go speed reader. But uh, essentially, she's she was singing in church and around town forever. Um, Her family frequented a lot of bluegrass festivals because she was born and raised in northern Kentucky. Um, Makes sense. Goes with the territory. Right. Is there anything else to do in Kentucky? Drink. Make moonshine. Yeah, and bluegrass. It's the same thing, right? (laughs) But when she was 11, she was actually invited to front um, a bluegrass group that toured regionally. So at age 11, during the summer and stuff, she was out playing all these fairs and festivals as an 11-year-old front man to a bluegrass band. Front woman. Whoa, man. Um, when she was 16, she wanted to enroll herself into a homeschooling program so she could focus a lot more in music. Because I think that kind of gave her a taste of traveling and all that kind of stuff. I wish I'd thought of that at 16. It sucked. Don't. I was homeschooled for two years. First I mean, year was throwing the music part in it would be pretty awesome. Yeah. Maybe. To not have to go to school and deal with all those people yeah, made but, me very happy. Yeah, I don't think I would have graduated if I would have done... See, I'm the super introvert. Yeah, I I wasn't disciplined enough in school. I hated it. I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't have graduated. But so it was one of those things. She came home and was like, Dad, I don't want to go to school. And this was the year before or year after her freshman year. Mm-hmm. I think it was either the summer before her freshman year or before her sophomore year. Um, but 
she said, Dad, I don't want to go to school. Homeschool me. And she was an only child. Both of her parents were working class. So she's, you know, her dad was like, no. She's like, okay, well, what if I find something that's completely hands-off for you guys? And then, you know, I can just do it all online. And yeah. It was kind of one of those smile and nod, I think. Like, yeah, yeah sure. Sure, all right. you do that. So she found all the paperwork and he was blown away. And he was like, we don't have to do anything then? Sweet. Great, done. Go so for she, it. So That's she awesome. homeschooled herself through all the online courses and everything so she could focus more on music. Um, when she was doing that, actually, her and her mom got this little one-bedroom apartment cabin thing because she had tried out for Dollywood as one of their shows. So she did shows, uh, you know, six shows a day, five days a week. Like, it was crazy. So her and her mom actually moved into one of these little staff cabins that they had. And she was a performer at Dollywood because she whenever passed her audition. She could ride the gold miner every day. What's the gold miner? I think it's called the gold miner. Gold Rush? It might be Gold Rush. I don't know what that is. Oh. I've been to Dollywood, but it was around Christmas, so nothing was really open. It's a, it it's a coaster that goes completely black. Oh, no, thank you. So I'd you're, like, sick. riding in it, and it is completely dark. Oh, I'd hate it. Yeah. Oh, I'd hate that. And then I couldn't find the name of the other one, but essentially there was, like, another theater, I think, towards, um like, more Smoky Mountains area-ish, or maybe that was... um. Gatlinburg. Essentially, it was like a step up from Dollywood. So she was only doing two shows a day, but they were like almost, what were they, three and a half, almost four hour long, these huge shows with a bunch of costume changes. Um, So it was essentially just a step up from Dollywood, just kind of the gambit of tourist attraction shows, which... She was getting paid. Yeah. She, didn't, she was homeschooling in between all of those, which was impressive as all get out. Yeah, I would lose focus right? and just do the music. So she moved to Nashville when she was 19. Um, when she was there, she was nannying and cleaning for Airbnbs, which is relatable. I didn't even know Airbnbs were back then. Well, this was Like, I think of them as, like, a so more not, recent thing. She's not much older than I am. I know, but, like... This was probably the last... Yeah, she started at 11, so it makes me think she's like, I don't know. No, oh, I don't know. I'll stop. Okay. You continue. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So these kind of get um, a little bit all over the place just because her timeline literally for these few years were absolutely all over the place. So a few months uh, after she was in Nashville, um, she had gotten a call to be in a music video for Lucy Hale, which apparently um, she had music for a little bit. She was the one in Pretty Little Liars. I don't know. So she was joking and said, hey, you know, if you guys ever need a background singer, let me know. A few months later, they called her and were like, hey, we're we doing a, a background run singer. Yeah, <laughs> up the West Coast. And it was like almost a month-long thing. And she quit her nannying job and was like, yeah, I'm going. And everybody, of course, was you know, saying the whole, well, once you're a backup singer, you know, you're always going to be a backup singer. That's all anybody's going to know you for. And she just, I guess, followed her gut and went and did it. That's what I was about to say. That just proves follow your gut. Because if anybody had done any research, they would have saw that Rascal Flatts began as Christian artist Michael English's background singer. Cheryl Crow. Michael Cheryl Jackson. Crow for Michael Jackson, yes. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, I I would not mind being a background singer. No, I just no. I enjoy it. I have fun with it. But um I guess her and um 
Lucy Hale kicked it off and was letting her open for shows um, and letting her play some of her own solo stuff in addition, you know, into Lucy's set and kind of just took her under her wing and her social media started to grow and actually grain or grain gain traction for it, which I thought was really cool because not everybody that you'd be a background singer for would yeah. be nearly as in, as, as inviting. Is that the right word? No, maybe it's true. I don't know. And girls can be catty with each other, so yeah, I'm surprised we, that whole thing didn't right? happen. Right? That's kind of what I was thinking. But she was in Nashville about eight years um, and was just kicking kicking butt. She had gotten a publishing deal and then had lost it. She had gained some developmental deals and fell through and just the same – I hate to say same sad story of Nashville. It but, seems to be a lot of the same story. <laughs> but it is, though, and it's – it's crazy, and she ended up signing a new deal with Big Machine, and she's been doing a bunch of crap ever since then. I mean, she's had 35 invitations to be on the Grand Ole Opry. Um, you know, she's shared stages with Martina McBride, Cole Swindell, Hunter Hayes um, in 2016, and is actually how I knew of... No, wait a second. Yeah, it's been about Airplay. Then. Yeah, I guess... 2015, 2016, so she was touring and opening up for Kelsey Ballerini's tour. Um, and then she celebrated her first top 40 hit that was actually just a, like a featured artist on Josh Abbott's single, Wasn't That Drunk. And that's how we it's found her. Song. Yeah. Um, was when we went to go see Josh Abbott in Athens, Georgia. And it's a, it's a great the song. the Georgia Theater. It's, oh, damn, it's good. It's really, really, really Sunday, good. Sunday, Sunday, Right? So, um, if you, I'll just read this. One of those... Uh, I don't know. I already read that one. Just kidding. But, essentially, now she's 27 and uh, had moved about... When she was 19 years old. So, about, eight, you know, eight years-ish in Nashville before she really just see uh, a return. And, I might be jumping in front of you. Didn't she get a deal and then lost it? That's what I said. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. I didn't hear that part. Yeah. So the deal that she had lost actually was when she went to go be a background singer for – it was a developmental and publishing deal that was kind of all packaged into one. And she had lost that when she went to go become Lucy Hale's background singer because hmm. they said, we don't want a background singer on our ro- on our roster. You could do that here. Hmm. And so she pretty much gave him the bird. And she said, I felt good about it. And she, she did it. So this is one of my favorite um, quotes that I found from her online, actually. And just kind of advice to people like us that are still wanting to do it. And her, she said, I think success comes from being there long, for the long haul process and remembering it's not going to happen overnight. At my core, I know this is what I was meant to do. And I think you're wired in this way and your family and God know you were wired this way. So you fight every step of the way, even through the moments that you're wondering, how can I do this? So it was one of those kind of – she knew that's what she was going to do. And no matter what level it was, she was going to do it. Yeah. Which she – I'll have to link that podcast below that went way, way more in detail but it was probably 45 minutes long. It was a good one, though. Oh, my I really God. I enjoyed it. And that was the episode that we decided, you know what? Maybe it was like a almost a feel-good. Like, you know what? If I can do this. I 2018, can, yeah. 2019, maybe it won't be your year either. But you know what? You, you got plenty of years left. We can all do it. It's yeah. obtainable. 
You just have got to put in the work for it. Sorry, my boot is kicking the shit out of so this mic stand right now. So if you consider her career, she really, it looks like, started at the age of 11. And now at the age of 27. And that was 2018, so I think she's 28. Okay, so, so now 28. Um, she's 17. now getting songs on a radio, top 40. So I know 11, I mean, there's there's not much stock. Probably that we put in an 11-year-old, you know, career. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, it's still... You, I believe you can feel or have that same feeling at the age of 11 of wanting something. That's all I said I ever... Well, what I said was I want to be Alan Jackson when oh, I grow up. So it wasn't necessarily a country singer. And then once I got older, I realized I couldn't be Alan Jackson. Mm-hmm. So they said I still may find a way to do it because I can do what I want. Oh. But I knew when I was little... But this is what I was going to do. Yeah. And I'm doing it. Hmm. Ta-da! I just always did it. I didn't really think too much about, like, what am I, what am I going to be when I grow up? Really? Yeah, I didn't. Well, I also wanted to be um, a marine biologist or a crime scene analysis. Hmm. That would still be fun. Dexter. Yeah, that's pretty much, yeah. I, I just wanted to be a CSI, and then I realized <laughs> I'd have to take math. I was like, let's not do that. All right. That crushed my dreams in eighth grade. Our third artist we're going to be looking at is this one. Oh, Charles Edward Bradley. This is just. uh, He was born in 1940 something. Let's just say something. 48, 42. I think it's 48. Something like that. So he was born in 1940s. And in 1962. His sister took him to go see James Brown, where he was inspired and began mimicking Brown's style. So at the age of 14, this guy had one heck of a life. God, That's all yeah, I he did. So at the age of 14, he ran away, and for two years, he slept in subway cars. So he was homeless at the age of 14 for two years. Later in his life, while working as a chef, it's kind of interesting. I figured right? he'd go to school for that or... Yeah, culinary school. I don't think he did, though. I think oh, he just. I mean, you could yeah, be. Like I mean, he always I, had that hard, kind of poor life, is what it sounded like. I could just be a chef in, like, <laughs> I don't know, Burger King or something. Mm-hmm, Burger King. Anyway, so uh, where were we at? Okay, later, we're all, later while working as a chef, a co worker of his said, Man, you look like James Brown, and asked if he could sing, which led him to begin performing with a band. So Bradley worked as a cook for 10 years before heading west, landing in California. 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 There he worked odd jobs and played small shows for about 20 years until 1994 when he moved to Brooklyn to be with his aging mother, which he really didn't know. She gave him up for adoption at the age of four months, and his grandmother took him. Hard life, right? right? So uh, 1996, he began working as a James Brown impersonator in clubs. And uh, it was at this time he almost died from a reaction to penicillin, and his brother was murdered. Like, look at this life. I so mean, it was a great year. Ninety six was a good year. <laughs> given up at pretty much at birth, and then being homeless, and your brother dying or being murdered, and you almost dying in the same amount of time. It's crazy. So anyway, while he was performing the club scene, he discovered the uh, or he was discovered by the co-founder of Daptone Records, and luckily in 2002 they released his first recordings. Uh, later they would re-release the ten of the original recordings for his national debut album called No Time for Dreaming, and that was in 2011. So 
I thought this was going to be a lot longer to do his. There was so much information in there. Um, there's a Netflix documentary that South by Southwest released in 2012 that I don't remember the name to. But uh, if you get a chance, look up, you know, just Google it, Charles Bradley documentary. And it is amazing. The life this guy led, oh my goodness. I remember watching this thing thinking, oh dear Lord, please don't let this be my life. Like It's like watching Crazy Heart. Yeah, like I want to reach that. Uh, I, I do want to reach that, but... um. It's just impressive. So, yeah. at age sixty-three, or yeah, in the end of the wait, yeah. in the end of the age of sixty-three, it took him thirty-five years to hit the national stage. It's crazy. Sixty-three years, which, but it happened. So uh, once again, let me nail this down. The whole purpose of this thing is to keep you motivated. Um, yeah, it shouldn't be discouraging. No, like, this just should show you, if you've got the talent, like, even, I've heard people in Nashville, Nashville is a, what, tenure town? Something like, oh, I'm sorry, I had to have this closer, and I almost tipped it over. <laughs> so, it's a tenure town, so that's just in Nashville. It depends on how long you take to get there, and things have changed now somewhat in that Nashville does have this opinion that you have to be there. Their, their line is, you must be present to win. But in today's market with internet, I mean, we write constantly with people over the internet in Nashville. So work. They don't have the communication. Yeah. So the technology that we have yeah, now. So today we can work smarter, not harder. harder. Oh. I mean, you should still work hard. But yeah. But if you do, can work smart, do that. Do that. <laughs> yeah. Do that too. All right. So my next one is one of my favorite songwriters. I think. It's really at least my top three yeah. songwriters of all time, period. And I knew a bunch of songs that he'd written. Didn't realize, and we'll go, I had an entire list on here, but I just kept it to um, some of the number ones that he's had. So this is Shane McAnally. Um, I always wanted I always to call him McNally. I did too, and I just, <laughs> I didn't pay attention. But it's Shane McAnally. Um, Again, Nashville guy, or he's actually, he's originally from Texas, so he was playing music and writing it growing up in his, like, little local Texas towns, pretty much any place that they they would let him play. He moved to Nashville when he was 19 years old, and so that was back in 1994 with his cousin. (laughs) Their grandma drove him. Both of them. I guess his cousin didn't stay very long because he just wanted something new because he was 19 and it wasn't his little town in Texas. Um, Makes sense. But as soon as he got there, he got a job at a restaurant, um, started meeting some people, hanging out, and it makes me laugh because the first first person he said that he met in the music industry was a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend. Five degrees of separation. Yeah, pretty much. um, That knew of whatever, that he knew of her through a million different other people that didn't know her directly either <laughs> but um kept trying to get in contact with her trying to pitch her songs all this kind of a thing and eventually she was like all right fine <laughs> um and so i guess she really liked his work so after only six months of him being in nashville he was offered a publishing deal that came with like a developmental record deal too he was still working in the restaurant because even though he had a publishing deal that doesn't mean he was getting cuts or big cuts you guys so again like we just, talked about last Exactly. Was just it be- last week? Or year before. Year, week before, year I think. Before. <laughs> but just because you've got the deal doesn't mean you are getting paid a bunch 
and it doesn't mean that you're getting the hits that'll like kind of make up the difference. So he was still working at the restaurant. Um, It took him about four to five years to for him to release a single and an album of his own that he know he wasn't writing for anybody else. They kept just telling him, you know, his writing wasn't quite there yet. And it was because, you know, it was at the time he was 19, 20 years old. So now he was my age. Like, you haven't had enough life experience. You have nothing. Five years after getting the the record deal. Yep. God. Isn't that isn't that crazy? Um, and he still says he didn't think his writing was good enough and ready when they ended up releasing it. So it didn't do anything. Um, the quick deal, I guess, that he had – he made it sound like he got a deal so fast after moving to Nashville, which is – pretty un unheard of unless you've been going up there you know pretty regularly and then just moving and they kind of just are like hey welcome yeah. well, here you go um so we've he, been waiting for you <laughs> i've been waiting for you <laughs> but um it made it sound like it kind of gave him like a false sense of knowing more than he did being better than he was and not even quite cocky but just was i must have been doing something right I got one in six months. Yeah, he didn't come across as cocky at all. No. With the amount of success he's had. You guys will hear about it. Yeah. Oh, my God. Cocky is not something that I would say would be no descriptive of him at all. No. So one of his biggest downfalls, he says, in this time of not only trying to, um, you know, think not even trying to, but just thinking that he knew a little bit more than other people that had been here, you know, for 10 years because he'd got a publishing deal right out of the gate was that he kept trying to chase the sound that's on the radio, which if you guys remember a few episodes ago, by the time you're the things that you're writing that are the same as on the radio, by the time they get into those hands, it's going to be so old and so out of date and irrelevant now. So he said that was one of his biggest, like, oh shit, why did I do that? (laughs) So that record deal that he had had, so about Four to five years that he had it, and that was the same one that was he got right after he moved to Nashville. It fell through after seven years. So seven years he was signed with these people, mm. and nothing happened. There was no traction on the singles. There was nothing on the albums. Nothing. Um, I kind of wonder if this is kind of like what we were talking about last week as well. When A lot of times I've heard of other people being signed to a record deal and holding them shelved for seven years just to keep them out of the way of another artist. I listened to his stuff. And would I don't he know, know that? Pro- oh, they wouldn't tell him. No, but I'm sure he. I'm sure he knows that people do it now. Yeah. But I'm not sure. I'll have to tweet him. I'll have hmm. to see. But um, yeah, this was after seven years of moving. Nothing worked. Um, he'd actually got another developmental and publishing deal through RCA, but it fell through. You know, the old Nashville way. Hmm. Shit didn't happen. <laughs> so he kind of was done with Nashville. He kind of felt like. They're not really getting what I'm doing here. Like, it wasn't, uh, you know, oh, it's all their fault, kind of a whatever. But he moved to L.A. And, oh, my God, what was the quote that he said? It wasn't working here, so I'm not going to blame anybody close. Yeah. So now I'm going to blame everybody close. Oh, yeah. So, um he moved to L.A. and started writing, and uh, he kind of said he was doing the same thing, kind of just spinning his wheels and doing what he knew to do in Nashville, but wasn't getting, I guess, quite the recognition that he had gotten in Nashville. So he was kind of bummed out because he didn't get another publishing deal, um, but he did kind of find his own voice as a writer and a artist, I guess you would say, Um 
So he wasn't chasing the radio, and he didn't rely on co-writers, which he said helped a lot because he didn't have any he didn't have any contacts out there. Right with <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't a oh I don't co-write. It's a, I don't know anybody that writes. So he did it all of himself. So he was playing a lot of local bars, um, you know, once or twice a month, and he was having which is still crazy to me over three hundred people that would show up at these shows awesome. consistently, but it never increased, it never decreased, it just stayed there. So he was like, industry never paid any attention. Yeah. So he's like, why? How did I get this many people? And how was it not growing then if it grew to that? So he kept talking about it. It's like, felt like it was my uh, publishing deal all over again. I kind of got it and then done. Yeah. I kind of wonder like, there's several rooms in California. Was it what? Do you know what area that was? was Uh, San Francisco? He was in LA. Los Angeles. So there's a couple of places in uh, the L.A. area that are very popular venues that I kind of wonder if just people go there. Just to hear music? Yeah. That's what I'm curious. Very popular. Maybe. That would make sense. I don't know why I'm so psychoanalyzing. uh, I have no idea. Sean. Shane. (laughs) Shane, sorry. God, Sharon. Have I offended you? Yes. Good. All right. So he took a writing retreat. Um actually back to Nashville with a few of his buddies and they wrote a song called Last Call. One of my favorite songs One of all of time. Favorite and I just got goosebumps all over me. But Leanne Womack recorded it in 2008. Um, if you want to hear a good moody song, Google oh, Leanne Womack, Last Call. It's oh, sexy and moody. It's I'd play it for you, but I'm not paying for that copyright. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, ain't, I ain't trying to give him another payday. Sorry, Shane. I love you. Please write with me, but also... No. <laughs> but after that, he kind of chose it, chose to take it as a sign, like, all right, I'm moving back to Nashville. Because, of course, everybody in L.A. kept telling him, you know, you're so country. Um, everything you're writing is so country. And he goes, oh, my God, if I pitch any of this shit in it, like, in Nashville, yeah. they'd say, what is this? This isn't country. This isn't country. Um, so he kind of just said that's where... I, that's where I'm meant to be and wanted to try his luck again because at this point he was in his 30s. So you guys have to think about 19 when he moved to Nashville. He spent seven years in Nashville. That's 26. Mm-hmm. He was in L.A. for another seven years. So he's now 34. And started writing songs at the age of seven. Yeah. So at this point it was one of those, oh shit, all I've done is music. Like all my friends went to college. And we're studying for other things and training for, you know, different corporations or jobs. I know this feeling. <laughs> this is all that I've done. If I want a family at one point, I've got to be successful in this because I'm not going back to school. Like, I just, it's not an option. So I'll have to do something in the music industry, whether it's writing or being an artist. I got to figure yeah, some shit out. have to make this work. Yeah. So after 18 months of Last Call being on the radio, and that's, again, the song that Leanne Womack cut. Uh, radio or on the radio, whatever. After uh, after last call, I was on the radio for eighteen months. <laughs> There's a lot of numbers in this paragraph. All right, um, Kenny Chesney actually recorded "Somewhere with You," so that's another very good song. Uh, it's it's great. He wrote that tune. It's fantastic. This next point is my favorite point in the whole interview we heard. Oh, it okay. So. You remember now, this was one of his co-writers at the time had a publishing deal. Shane did not have a publishing deal, and he hadn't had one since he lost it and moved to L.A. So this has been 
oh my God, almost eight and a half, nine years since this man has had a publishing deal and has gotten a cut by Leanne Womack and now has one by Kenny Chesney. Um, one of his co-writers, whatever, it was kind of one of those handshake deals of, hey, you're, I'm going to, my publisher wants you, the company that we're signed with isn't interested in giving you a publishing deal, but it was kind of one of those handshake, hey, I'll pitch your song, I'll make sure, you know, to pitch it for you. Yeah. Just, there was no contract, there was just kind of a verbal, what do we call it, a song, what'd you call it, when you're talking about cutting songs? A single song contract, a single... Oh, yeah, single song contract. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, sorry. So he essentially had that. So this woman pitched it to Kenny Chesney's people, and they said, oh, it sounds really great, we'll let him know what he thinks. That happens another six times. And they're like, this is weird. It's like radio static, there's nothing. It happens another four times. So if you can't count, we're up to ten times a song was pitched, and they heard nothing back. So she ends up getting a meeting with Kenny Chesney and some other dude that I forget his name, artist-ish on that label, and kind of brought in like one of those like goodie baskets. And she obviously had a few of the songs of Shane's that she was pitching. And it was one of those, I can leave this song somewhere with you in this basket on the table, right in front of Kenny Chesney, and he will listen to it. Or at least something, leave something else that they haven't heard ten other times. Mm-hmm. For some reason, she chose that same song. So this was pitch number eleven, and that was to the, the one same person, the same person, same team. Same. Which means he turned it down ten times, and he got it. He got it, and it was. This gave me one chills. Of his, I, I know it. It was one of his first number ones, um, and that was in, in two thousand and ten. So after that, he said the doors flew open and he was writing a bunch. He does a bunch of crap now. He actually relaunched Monument Records that, um, not R.L. Castleman. Who were we just talking about? Somebody was, um, or were we listening? No, Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton. Never mind. That was a, that's a completely different story for another episode. But same label. Same label that uh, Dolly Parton started on. He kind of revamped with uh, Josh Osborne. And uh, he has his own publishing company, producing and production company called Smack. Um, they're very cool. They post a lot of really fun things on Instagram. So it's interesting. So as of 2018, the beginning of 2018, this man has had 35 number one hits. That's not all of his cuts. Yeah, that's, that's not even just top number 10. Ones. Yeah, that's not top 10, top 3, top 2. That is number ones. So some of the bigger ones that I pulled that are some of my favorites now. But he wrote Kiss Tomorrow Goodbye by Luke Bryan, Alone With You by Jake Owen, Come Over, American Kids, and Wild Child by Kenny Chesney. And Wild Child is one of my favorite songs he's ever put out. I love that song. It's a good song. Better Dig 2 and Chainsaw for the band Perry, Say You Do, and Different for Girls for Dirk Bentley. And he also did Hurt Somebody that Dirk Bentley cut on one of his later CDs. Um, John Cougar, John Deere, John 316 for Keith Urban. Um... One of my favorite songs, Stay a Little Longer, Brothers Osborne. Yeah, so I met a girl, William Michael Morgan, Mama's Broken Heart, and Vice for Miranda Lambert, um, Drinking Problem for Midland, and he writes with Sam Hunt and Thomas Rhett, apparently a good bit. So he wrote T-shirt for Thomas Rhett and a bunch of them, but again, these are just number ones. Yeah. But uh, for Sam Hunt, he wrote Leave the Night On, Take Your Time, and Body Like a Back Road. Um, unforgettable for Thomas Rhett. Uh, he's really close. He is cl- 
shit, closely associated <laughs> with Casey Musgraves. So he pretty much co-wrote every single song on same trailer, different park. Um, follow or I, mm, pageant material, same trailer, different park, and Golden Hour and her Christmas CD. So I think that's only her fourth album she's got out. Third one that's not including the Christmas album. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to actually pop my finger. I'm sorry. Oh. I'm so sorry. No offense. You're good. <laughs> but he, this man is a songwriting machine. So if you guys are familiar at all with Jeffrey Steele, I think he's taken the place of Jeffrey Steele. That's a mean thing to say, and I still love Jeffrey Steele. But this Styles man... Styles change, and right now he's the style. Yeah, so this is... He said... What was it? 10? Oh, hell. When did... So, 2010 is when Kenny Chesney cut come over. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of 2018. Like, I know you say, oh, that's a lot of songs. Or that's, you know, a bunch of songs, and it's eight years. That's 35 songs in eight years. God. Like, no, oh, it's it's freaking impressive. It's and that's just the number ones. So if you guys go to maybe I'll have to put it on Facebook or on our website. There is a complete list of all the songs that he's written that just major artists have cut. I got tired of reading it. <laughs> oh, I made it a quarter of the way down, and it was songs that I had no idea that he'd written. I had no idea, and they were some of my favorite songs by some of my favorite people. I was shocked because the versatility, like the complete difference oh. between like George Strait's. Take Me to Texas, and Body Like a Backroad. Like, you got mm-hmm. traditional George Strait, awesome country, and then Sam Hunt. And he, he's written a lot for Kelly Clarkson. Hmm. And, like, all these people were like, holy shit, dude. Hmm. It's just, so that was the one that blew my mind. And I think one of the biggest things that you guys have to take away from this, he had a publishing deal and a developmental deal for years. Didn't do anything. After he came back... Still didn't have one. His songs were being cut. You mm-hmm. don't need one to do it. You need somebody to pitch it. And if you can't find somebody, you can figure out a way to weasel your way in and pitch them yourself. Yeah. Um, there's always ways to do it. Because if, if that song had not been pitched 11 times, would all these doors have been opened? Pretty much. So that one is the one that... And I'll have to find that podcast too. Because it... Yeah. He's just a hoot and a half, and his Instagram is, oh my god, him and his husband and their twins are the cutest things you've ever seen in your life. Totally adorable, but that was, I think, one of my favorite ones um, that we had yeah. Had her so, uh, home. as we were going through researching this episode, one of the things that every single artist that we listen to, and we listen to more than this, but we figured we couldn't fit everybody in on this episode. Or we could. Or you guys would be like, shut the hell up. <laughs> yeah. But every, every single one of these artists harped on continuously to be, uh, what was the word? Authentic. Thank you. I couldn't think. I kept seeing an O in my head. Like, oh, it's Yeah. So they kept harping on being authentic. Be your authentic self. At the same time, they said be unique or at least approach it from a unique perspective. Yeah. But every single one of them, authenticity. Like people can smell and they can tell when you're being fake, and especially when it comes to art and that kind of stuff. And not only can people in the music industry that are handing out the labels – or the label deals and all that stuff, not only can they sniff it out, but our audiences can. Oh, God, So I would yeah. say if you're having a hard time in everything from social media to, you know, getting your songs cut or whatever, 
Show really yourself. Check, yeah, just be yourself. Like, if you've got fear, fear will always stop you from movement. Oh, heck yeah. But it was interesting, though, that all of these different people, and it was a few of them, I honestly can't remember their names. We listened to a few of them that weren't country-based. And I'm sorry that a lot of these kind of were. Um, but again, these are just the ones that we knew the ins and outs of. Um, I just get nervous talking on topics that I have no idea what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, or about artists you've never heard. Yeah, where I'm like, wow, this is so good. And they're, and they're like, lady, none of this. I can't fact-check any of that, okay? I don't know what Mary J. Blige has written for stuff. I love her. <laughs> And I'd believe anything probably written about her that said, oh, she did this and overcame this. I'd be like, yeah, baby. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying at this point. But this was hopefully a feel-good episode to kind of just get a fire lit under your butt. Again, Stick with it. Sometimes it takes 63 years to get it. Sometimes you land a publishing deal right away and it falls through. And you're stuck oh. for another 14, 15 years. I wanted to say um, Craig Morgan. Craig Morgan had a song 10 years out. He had a deal and all that stuff. They released a song to radio 10 years prior. Didn't do huge things. 10 years went by, and he finally released. Oh, my God, that's right. Um, almost Home. Almost Home, exactly. If you want to cry like a little bit later. And then like his success was... You know, it was a huge song. His uh, record label had to literally call the radio stations and say, "We're trying to release a new single. We need you to stop playing." Almost, almost home, home. and so, they didn't, and they wouldn't. They refused to. <laughs> that so, was one of their most requested songs. Who else was there? R.L. Castleman had a song on um, three. Had three songs. One of the songs is on one of Alison Krauss's albums that she won Grammys for, and. Um, he wrote this song. It was took ten years after he wrote the song before it met Allison, and she cut it. So, music industry is a long term, long goals, oh, long God, yeah. game, long. What's the right word? A marathon. It's not sure, a sprint. Not where it's I was a going, but they get the point. <laughs> it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Yeah. So, anyway, race. if uh, if there's anything you take away from today, it's be encouraged. Stick with it. And uh, hopefully you got some honest people around you that can speak some truth into your life and mm-hmm. your music. So, oh, yeah. you've been listening to the Neon Rainbow Podcast, the podcast dedicated to all you crazy folks that have dared to chase your musical dreams. Dreams. So remember. Work hard, stay focused. Oh, wait a second. Oh, work hard, you... dream big, <laughs> stay focused, and, and surround, surround yourself, yourself with, with good, good people. people. Bye, guys.